First Peter chapter three, reading from verse one. We remember this is God's word. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. Well, please do open your Bibles this morning with me to this book of 1 Peter and the chapter 3. And we're going to look at God's Word and what it has to say to us, not just this morning as husbands and as wives, and as already has been pointed out to me this morning, I am not a husband, and we're going to look at this passage, though. God speaks through His Word. And there are principles here this morning for all of us to learn, whether we are a husband or a wife, or whether we're not. There are general principles for us as we come to God's Word. We want to look at this and see how we as a family can get it right in, in connection with God's Word. And as we do that, let us just bow for a moment's prayer as we come to His Word. Father, we love Your Word. It is sweet to us, but it is also sharp. Father, we ask now as we come to it that you open our eyes, open our hearts, soften our hearts, Father. Your Spirit teach us and equip us. Father, deal tenderly with us. Perhaps we have got things wrong in the past as we come to this passage. And Father, we need you this morning. Father, we praise you that in Jesus that you have forgiven us. Father, you call us to repentance. Help us to approach your word now with humility. Help us to sit under it. These things we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, as we think about husbands and wives, we often think of the perfect love story, don't we? And perhaps uh, for the younger members of the congregation, we will be familiar with the love story and up, and it'll come up on our screen, the perfect love story, okay? This is a Disney film that has portrayed what a beautiful love story can be. 
And we want to imagine this morning that there are two people, Jimmy and Elizabeth. And Jimmy and Elizabeth, they meet each other and all is well. He treats her with the utmost respect. He dates her. Then he asks for her hand in marriage. And he does it in a beautiful way. He pulls out all the stops. Maybe it's a hot air balloon ride, which in Northern Ireland is very unlikely with our wind and rain. But he pulls out all the stops, whatever it is. He's a very, very much so a romantic man. And the two get married, and they set out on journey and married life together. Every morning, they take it in turns to make each other breakfast in bed. And it's not just cereal, but it's a full breakfast, whether it's an eggs benedict or, or a fry, whatever it may be. Once a week, Jimmy buys Elizabeth flowers, comes home with flowers once a week. Every time they're on the phone, they have a little debate. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. And so it goes on and on. They have debates in the house. The only ever debate that they have is, no, I'll tip the dishwasher. No, I'll do the dishwasher. No, I'll do the ironing. No, no, I'll do the ironing. And on and on it goes. The perfect love story. Now, there are many smiles around the congregation this morning because we know that that is not how it works. Sure it isn't. With the best, and there's many no's. There with the best intention in the world, we set out in married life, we set out in a relationship, and with the best will in the world, our sin gets in the way, doesn't it? Our selfishness and our pride starts to ruin it. And the perfect love story that Disney presents, I'm sorry to say, does not exist. Because we are fallen people. We see it right back in Genesis, how man and woman are put against each other, that they will they will have separation, that they will strive against one another. And it's all too familiar that sin destroys marriage, doesn't it? In our land, well, in England and in Wales, at the highest end of the estimate, 42% of all marriages will end in divorce. 42%, almost half. In America, sin has ripped many, many marriages apart. One figure estimates that one in every three marriages that one or both people have cheated on their other half. One in three. The top reasons for divorce and for marriages to end are adultery, money, the belief that they are growing apart, and the belief that our partner doesn't fulfill us. And this morning, we want to come to this passage and we want to die to sin. And we want to protect our family units. If we are not married this morning, we want to see what it is that God has as a blueprint for us. What is it that our character should be like? And as a church, we want to be a place here that harbors and garners healthy marriages, that we want to be a place that supports healthy marriages, that we want to help married couples, but we also want to help single people. How do we fit in as a church family together? How is it that we should act one with the other? And we see that at the, the last few verses in our passage. So this morning, we're going to work through this. We're going to take it slowly and carefully as we work through what it means to be a, a holy wife and a holy husband, but also what it means to be part of a holy church. How do we relate one with the other, whether we're young or whether we're old here this morning? How should we conduct ourselves? Well, let's set ourselves back into the context of First Peter Peter here is writing to churches. He's writing to encourage them in the midst of distress, in the midst of difficulty. 
And here this section is framed with a few other verses. As you have your Bible open and Scripture open in front of you, look at chapter 2 and verse 9. It tells us that we are a chosen people, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into His light. Then we see again in verse 11 that we are called to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He's saying that we got to abstain from the things of our heart, from the sinful desires that we long for. Then in verse 12 of chapter 2, that we, that we go and we conduct ourselves honorably. And in verse 16 of chapter 2, we live as free people. We live as servants of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 24 to 25, we see the great sacrifice that Christ has paid so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. Die to sin and live to righteousness. And then he explains to us what this looks like for husbands and for wives. You see, Peter's trying to say that in the midst of this pagan society that they live in modern-day Turkey, that they've got to show Christ through their marriages as they mingle with the people around them, as they encounter people in the town and in the villages, that Christ may be seen in their marriages. It's so important. Why? Because it's an image of Christ and His church. And if husbands and wives cannot display something of Christ and His love and His beauty and His sacrifice, well then, they have they, then the question is asked, have they really been changed by God? And you see, he wants to encourage them that, that if they are unchanged, if you have not changed in your relationship as believers, well, then you empty the Holy Spirit of his power. If you claim him, but yet you are not changed, you empty Calvary, you empty the empty tomb of its power because you do not believe then in a God who changes people and a God who transforms people. So coming into this society, we try to immerse ourselves. Peter's writing here, and as he writes to this, it's really, really uncommon for wives to have a different religion than their husbands. It's totally almost unheard of. Plutarch, who's writing around this time, he says this, that a wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. Her friends are to be her husband's friends. Her God is to be her husband's God. So for a wife to not, be, uh, uh, for a wife to not have the same religion or belief as her husband is unheard of, but look at how he starts. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives being a holy wife. This is our first point. And what does it show us? That God transforms people. He's transforming ladies in this society. He's transforming wives, wives that have been bound by their culture, wives that should worship the same God as their husband, but the Holy Spirit by his power is unveiling Christ to them, and they're seeing him for the first time, and they're coming to belief. They're not letting society hold them back. They're not letting restraints hold them back. Now, as we come to this and thinking about being a holy wife, I'm sure at some point in all of our lives, we have had this conversation, what is our type? What is it that we like? What is the, the type of person that we would like to spend the rest of our life with? And usually, if we're honest in a list like that, what are some of the things that come first? Well, perhaps it's a, 
a hair color. I would rather have such and such a person with a such and such a hair color. Such and such a height is probably in there in the mix. Maybe it's a location. I know if you're uh, from the country, some of the boys around me, if you're over a half an hour away, that's it. You're ruled out, okay? You have to be fairly close. And I know in, in past days, if you couldn't reach it on a bike, then it was probably too far. Another question that is often familiar in the country is this, do you farm? <laughs> and then whenever you hear that maybe if you're a, a male, uh, that the lady farms or father farms and has dairy and chickens, will you think that you're really on to a winner? And then you ask her, well, how many acres do you have? And she says, oh, well, I think we've about 80, which really means of maybe about 100. And you think, excellent, this is going really well. <laughs> what sort of machinery do you keep? Well, we keep John Deere's. John Deere's must have a few pounds as well. And it's all going well until she says, yes, but I'm coming here tonight with my older brother. And you just have to say at that point, well, he's going to get the farm and we'll go, <laughs> we'll go on to the next one. But in our hearts, in our hearts, we all have these little checklists, don't we? All little checklists. For those of you who are married this morning, perhaps you had that checklist. And we laugh. But we often think, what should a husband or wife be like? And then whenever we're married, we wish that they were more like this or more like that. And you see, here God lays out what he says a holy wife should be. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I'm not married or I'm a widow this morning. How does it apply? Well, it does apply because here God shows us through a blueprint in his word what our holy lives should be like, what it is that we should desire, what it is that we should want to be like where our beauty comes from. So here Peter talks firstly to wives who are in relationships with husbands who are not believers, and he encourages them to be subject to them. Even in the midst of this relationship where they are unequally yoked, he still encourages them to submit to their husbands. And this isn't a blanket, a blanket statement for all ladies to be submissive to all men. This is very much within the family unit that a wife should be submissive to her husband. And this word subject, or to be subject to, is wrapped in our, in our society in all kinds of negative connotations, isn't it? As we think about submitting to something, it is never positive. And yet in the Greek, this means to arrange under to obey, to yield to one's advice. And we shrink back from this this morning. Ladies, we shrink back from this this morning, but why? R.C. Sproul says this, if the question was posed to any Christian woman, would you have any problem in submitting yourself to Jesus? They would answer no. There is no problem. But they quickly follow that by saying, but my husband isn't Jesus. And here Peter knows that. Peter is making that point that it doesn't matter. This is how Christians, we should conduct ourselves. Now don't mishear me this morning. I am not saying that a wife should ever have to put up with domestic violence or abuse and things must be reported to the police. Nor are we saying that a wife is inferior we are joint heirs of Christ. We are created male and female. 
It is the position of headship or leadership that we are talking about this morning. And this just means that there's a division in labor. It doesn't mean that one is above the other, but there's a division here. What helps us in this is thinking of the Trinity. In the divine economy of the Trinity, what happens? The Father sends the Son. The Son does not send the Father. But nowhere is the Son inferior to the Father. They are of the same essence, but they have different roles. You see, in redemption, Christ is subordinate to the Father, but nowhere does that imply that He is inferior. So whenever it comes to splitting up the roles, and one says, I'll wash the dishes and I'll dry, or I'll dry and I'll wash, that is a splitting of labor, but there's not one that is more important than the other. Both are required. So in marriage, where two become one, if there is no position of leadership, if there is no position of authority, well then, we see from Genesis that the two will constantly be at battle. The home will be a place of division. It will be a place of power struggle. And the result, well, the result will end with fall and sin. So husbands this morning, you must lead. Men this morning that are not married, we must be godly men and leaders. Young men, we must be trained in that way. Now, we're going to touch upon that and what it looks like for us to lead in a godly way. So if you're rubbing your hands this morning, husbands or men, thinking, happy days, now that the Bible says that I'm in a position of authority, that means that I can really settle that debate about what we're going to spend our money on and I'm going to be able to get my new car. Just hold that thought for a moment, okay? You see, we remind ourselves that this whole theme of submission is punctuated with the desire to live lives that ultimately lead people to Christ. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying it just before us, how we submit in the civic world, how we submit then to our bosses as, as workers, and then it's showing submission in the home. But all of this so Christ may be glorified. All of it so that we may see the beauty of Him. All of it so that people may be brought into salvation. Here Peter points out that a wife should be holy in her conduct so that a husband may be one to the Lord, even without a word. Now, Peter has already said to us that we should declare the Word of God. This is not an excuse for not speaking the Word of God. But he's saying that our lives should be so holy that we reflect this. Now, Augustine, that historic figure that we know of, in his, confession, in his confessions, his biography, he tells of how his mother was a Christian monica. And she was married to a man who was not a Christian, but she lived a life that sought to bring him into salvation. This is what Augustine says of his mother. She served her husband as her master. She did all that she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you and of her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of her earthly span, she gained him for you. And here's a woman that we don't have to work too hard at imagining, is it? The difficulty of years upon years upon years of marriage, of laboring in marriage for the Lord, hours of prayer, many tears, many hours spent on her knees, knowing that the words of First, of first Peter chapter 3, knowing this first verse, knowing that if she has purity of character and reverence, that she can lead her husband to the Lord. 
You see, she was respectful and pure in conduct and not distracted by external adornings, but rather she had this imperishable beauty, this gentle and this quiet spirit. So what is God showing us this morning here? Well, there's a point of application. For the women in this society, it was huge pressure placed upon them to look good. We see it there, don't we? That they had to adorn themselves with hair and with their jewelry and with their clothing. And not much has changed for our society. Still, huge pressure is placed upon ladies to look a certain way, bombarded with products. And the result is that we see many girls and many ladies and many women broken because they believe that they can never look good enough, never be pretty enough, never measure up, made to feel inferior and unworthy and ugly and unloved. And all of it is lies. Lies of Satan. Because he wants to distract our godly women with this. Now, this isn't God saying that we have to always be ugly. That is not what he's saying. But God is saying to us that there is a hierarchy here that there is the outward beauty, but then there is the inward beauty. Look at verse 4. Instead, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. See, we cut below this. It's easy for us to make ourselves look beautiful on the outside, to hide sin. But God says our hearts are the important thing. So to be a holy wife this morning means that we spend time in God's presence. And hear this this morning, the women of our congregation, in the eyes of God, the most beautiful thing about you is your soul, is your walk with Him. He wants to know you better. He wants to know you deeper. And this is a beauty that never fades. So He calls us this morning to walk with Him, to walk with the Son. So men, this morning... A question for us, what is it that we are really looking for in a woman? What is it that we are really looking for in our wife? What are the things that we are complimenting our wives about? Is it her heart? Is it the beauty of her? The beauty of her walk with the Lord? And fathers and young men this morning, what is it that you're hoping for? Fathers, what are we training our sons to look for in a potential wife? Are we training them to look for a woman who is beautiful because of her soul, because she loves the Lord Jesus Christ? Because in that, we see the strength. And ladies, this morning, I wonder how much time we spend preparing our external selves, preparing ourselves to look beautiful on the outside. How many hours, how much time do we spend preparing our hearts that we see this beauty of Scripture, this beauty of verse 3 that shouldn't come from an outward adornment, but instead from our walk with the Lord. Mothers, do our daughters see us prioritizing our walk with the Lord? Do our daughters see us loving Him and walking with Him and putting on Christ? This morning, we want this place to be a place where older holy wives prepare the younger ladies for that. 
where they help the younger women who are married, that they spend time and understand one another, that they learn from one another, they ask questions, and that they pray with one another. And another clarification in this passage, it talks about a gentle and a quiet spirit. What does that mean? Does that mean that all ladies have to be doormats? By no means. Martin Luther talks about his wife, says that she was no doormat, that she was opinionated, that she was sharp and she was fiery, but still she had a beautiful spirit. And you see, God doesn't call women to be doormats. He doesn't call women to be slaves in the way that they relate to their husband any more than God calls men to exercise tyranny over their wife. See, Jesus was the strongest man who ever walked in spirit, who ever lived, and yet he was adorned with a gentle and with a quiet spirit. Therefore, sisters in Christ, married this morning, or even if you're not married, the beauty is saw in your soul, is seen in your soul by the Lord. Walk with him, listen with him, get your strength from him. And if you're sitting this morning in disbelief at this passage, can't believe that this is what the Bible says for ladies in marriage. Well, we see a reference to Sarah, verse 6. Like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. This is a direct reference back into Genesis and Genesis chapter 18 and, 9, and verse 9 to 14. This is where Abraham comes in and tells Sarah that we're going to have a child. There's a promise from the Lord. And she laughs in almost like a nervous fear. She shrinks back from it. There's no way that that could be possible. And yet she trusts herself to the Lord. So this morning, if you're a lady and you are shrinking back, there is a nervous laughter or fear. You're called to entrust the Lord. Trust Him. Believe His Word. Keep going in your marriage. Adorn yourself with Christ. Well, what about husbands this morning? Verse 7. What is it that our responsibility is? How do we be a holy husband and perhaps you have been sitting smug up until this point, thinking, happy days, all the bits and pieces. Maybe there's been a little nudge over to the side of you, maybe a little sly uh, smile raised. But there is huge responsibility for us as men. Husbands, we know that we are to love our wife as Christ loved the church. What does this mean? It means that we are willing to lay everything down to serve our wife even unto death. You see, there's no selfishness in the love that Christ shows for the church. Christ never abuses her. He never rules over her in tyranny. He never exploits her. He never belittles her. She is his bride, and he honors her and loves her and cares for her and respects her. So husbands, we're called to act in the same way. Verse 7 be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Peter is calling husbands to treat their wives with understanding. And that means not blaming her. That means not flying off the handle at her, but rather listening to her, to her reasoning with her, caring for her, being concerned for her. Show her honor. She is your wife. And he makes reference that, that ladies' wives are often the weaker partner. This is not always the case in a physical sense, but generally speaking, it is. So what is our responsibility as men? To protect, 
to work for her, to earn her, to earn for her. And in the Greek, this, this whole passage has a deeper sense to it. It's a more intimate sense. It's emotional, but it's also sexual as well. And husbands are not to be fixated on their desires or on their needs. Rather, they're to treat their wife with honor. Why? Because verse 7 tells us, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In a relationship, in marriage, if we are Christians, we are co-heirs with Christ, saved by his wonderful, beautiful grace. That does not mean that one is more important than the other, but both are equally loved and valued in Christ's eyes. So husbands, your wife is of eternal value. She is priceless in the eyes of God. He has sent his son to die for her and to die for you, so protect her. Be sacrificial towards her. Care for her. Lead her closer to Christ. This morning as we draw to our close, we haven't got to our final point. We haven't even got towards all of our responsibilities. Do look at that, and I encourage us all to look at them last few verses from verse 8 this afternoon. How do we all live? We live in harmony. We are sympathetic. We love as brothers. We're compassionate and humble. That's how we act as a church. That's how we are a family who's living under him. But this morning, particularly for husbands and wives, this is so important, this passage. Why? So that our prayers are not hindered. It tells us Our homes this morning are to be places of hope and to be places of love. Not a battleground, not a place for division. So married men, be men of Christ this morning. Married women, be women adorned with Christ. Single men, seek women who are beautiful in spirit. And single women, seek husbands who are holy and who are men of honor. As we've looked at this this morning, there's a lot of things that I would say that we have to say sorry for. A lot of people that perhaps we have to say sorry to. And this morning we have to come in humility to one another and apologize, say we're sorry, say we got that wrong. We're sorry for the times where we have not stepped up to the plate as holy husbands to lead our wives in Christ, where we have not prayed together. As wives, where there are times where we have not sought to adorn ourselves in the beauty of Christ. We have not sought to benefit our husbands, to help him, to be a quiet and a gentle spirit for him. And we praise God this morning that there is forgiveness for us. Look at the passage just before in chapter 2 and verse 24. We praise God for this. And it's by no coincidence that Peter puts this where he puts it in his letter just before this section. Whenever he writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd 
and the overseer of your souls. We praise God this morning that by his wounds we have been healed. There is grace and there is forgiveness this morning in Jesus. For whatever way we have failed them as young men, whatever way we have failed to treat young ladies with respect and honor, as young ladies, the ways that we have failed to put on Christ, as those who are married, we want this place, we want our church family to get this right. We want to be people who are not above saying sorry to one another and seeking repentance before the Lord. This morning, come to him. Come to him afresh. It says we have all been like sheep that have gone astray, but now we return to him, our great shepherd. He is our shepherd who we return to. Seek him. Seek forgiveness this morning. And then let us go forth and live as holy people, as a holy family here in this place. Let us unite our hearts as we pray together. Father, you sent your son into this world and he came to win his bride and he laid down his life for us and he bore our sin upon the cross of Calvary and he endured mockings, spitting, he endured rejection and yet, Father, he never abused us he is always patient with us. He is always loving. Father, help us this morning in the midst of our sin. Father, in the midst of our pride and our arrogance, our ignorance, our selfishness. Father, to lay it down at the foot of the cross. Father, we praise you this morning because you give us forgiveness. Lord, we get it so wrong. Father, we listen to the world we let them dictate upon our lives. And Father, marriage is a beautiful thing. And Father, we thank you for the surety that our beauty is found in our souls this morning. Help us to be people who run after you, who want to know you deeper and clearer and think about you in a clear way. Father, help us to wrestle with Scripture and with your Word to long after it. For this morning, Father, we ask that you would give your presence to our families, that your Holy Spirit would be at work. Draw us together, one with the other, and as a church family here in this place, people who are not, a, not scared, Father, to come to you in repentance, because you're our God, and you're our Father, and your arms are open this morning for us. Help us to seek you. Help us to run to you. Help us to want Jesus above everything else. In his strong name we pray.